Thanks, brother. Thank you all for your faithfulness. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, the uh, title of this message is Fool Me Twice. Uh, I remember several years ago when George W. Bush was president, he was speaking in Tennessee. And I'm, I'm going to quote what he said. Many of you have heard this before. It's, it's really funny. <laughs> he said, there's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me, you can't get fooled again. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. <laughs> and you know that old, that old saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, is what he was trying to say. And um, I, uh, I always get a giggle out of that because uh, he, just, he just was trying to say something really profound and it just didn't, it didn't roll out the way he in, intended it to. <laughs> uh, but but we, do, we do know that saying and um, shame on you, shame on you. That, that old phrase that we've heard people say over the years, or maybe you've said it. And I know that um, <clears throat> the issue of shame is, in the, and the word shame has been embraced by the progressive church. And in so many ways, the, the issue of chain, shame is a, is a popular topic and in so many ways, I know some people probably use it very nobly, but in so many ways, in so many churches today, the reference to shame is kind of like uh, a license to continue sinning. You know, you just live your life, live your own truth, and there's no shame that should come to you. There's therefore now no shame to you. And it, and it, it extrapolates off in so many of those churches to say that there really isn't such a thing as sin anyway. Uh, there are many who teach now that because Christ died for the world and gave himself a ransom, that everybody's already saved, no matter what you do. It's amazing to me. Some of the crazy false doctrines that are out there that simply take us away from what we know Christ came to do. It's such a wonderful gift of redemption and forgiveness of sins and living our lives proactively in our identity in God um, that the enemy just has found a way that seems to be sweeping our nation and even the world to try to undo all of that in the name of Christ's sacrifice. And it's, it really is a doctrine of devils. But the idea of shame is something that, um, that, is, that is really out there. And <clears throat> we want to talk about shame, but we, we want to talk about it in a way that leads us into a proactive discussion of who we are in the Lord and really what we are to be in God. Um, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4 
we're going to read those first seven verses, and we're going to roll from there. But um, I think leading into that, I was I was studying some yesterday um, in some of the <laughs> hardbound books that I have. Um, I know in my house there's 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 a lot of suggestion that I need to get rid of a lot of those because <laughs> I've got way too many. But I was reading a, a volume that I had that was a an, a discussion with Robert Oppenheimer and uh, some of the discussions that he had with Albert Einstein and how that they were talking even before the idea of developing a bomb um, or or to before the idea of uh, letting physics take us into some further um, discoveries of of uh, of what what is possible for nature, but both of them were talking about how we live in this world, but we really there's another world, and they weren't talking about heaven. There there's another reality, and and they were both. Um, putting forth the idea that what we see in the natural is really not the main the the main focus of existence, and that from the totally scientific perspective, you know, Oppenheimer was talking to Einstein about lots of dreams that he had, where he was seeing things that spoke of a of another existence that was beyond this world and. He was so agitated by those that it drove his his discussions in um, in theory to try to discover that world. And so he went through Europe. He went through uh, Germany and Switzerland, and then established a study at Berkeley. And he was really from the standpoint of wanting to to enter into that other world. And I, I thought, that is just fascinating. It's just, it's just fascinating. Of course, then it led into the German scientists trying to develop that idea into a weapon by virtue of, of their discoveries um, that could cripple the Allies. And then the big race was on, popularized by the movie that's out right now. But the, the, initial, discover, the initial discussions of it was to enter into this other factor of existence. And I, as I was reading that, I was really recognizing how deep that thought is for all of us. Because all of us are functioning in this world, but we, we should really have our identity and our power and our focus in what God has put within us that is born again through Christ and only through Christ. And, and our, our function with our Father in heaven and how that we, we need to recognize that we are citizens of that other world and that we need to be growing and developing that identity and that capacity in God. You know, Pastor Fabian taught about Hesteme today in Sunday school class. Um, and I, I was thinking about the whole aspect yesterday and early, early this morning about crypto. 
And um, that, that place within us that, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul spoke in verse 25 about somebody coming into the church who was unlearned or wasn't really flowing in the things of the Spirit yet, and the people would prophesy into them the secrets of the heart, the crypto. And that would be touched, and that person would immediately proskuneo and begin to function in that and say, God is in you, and his truth is in you. And, you know, that awakening of the secret place. You know, Jesus, we've taught on this in the past over and over again. Uh, this is just a reminder leading up to, I'm not going to forget that we're going to read 2 Corinthians 4. Um, Jesus said in Mark 6, in Matthew 6, that when he was talking about prayer, he said, you go into the secret place, and your father, first of all, in verse 4, says he sees in crypto. Then in verse 6, it says he, the father is in crypto. And then in verse 18, Jesus says that the father is in crypto and sees in crypto. So why would he say that about the Father and the eyes of God and the identity of God when he's referring to you praying in that secret place in conjunction with <clears throat> who he has created you to be, that identity within you? You know, we, we spent well over a year extrapolating out about how the spirit within needs to breathe. And the spirit within is what prays in tongues. Um, and that the friend then would uh, open up our understanding and open up our passion before the Lord and open up our affections and open up our ability to perceive only because we're allowing that spirit of God within, born again through Christ, to breathe and to function and communicate in the mysteries of the Lord. You know, Peter, of all people, said in 1 Peter chapter 3 that it's the hidden man of the heart, hidden, crypto, of the heart, deep within you. There's something hidden in there that's from God. It's where God is and how God sees. And it says that, that if we're functioning in that, we need to have the ornament of a meek. We know what meekness is. It's not weakness. What is it? It's controlled power. Uh, an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Do you know what quiet means there? <clears throat> it means to be established. It needs to be functioning. It needs to be settled. And it, and it means to be holding our place. It, that's what our spirit is supposed to be. And it says that when we do that, look, think of that, the crypto man of the heart, an ornament of a meek and quiet, holding on spirit. And for God, it says, that in the sight of God, that is of great Price. And if you look up what great price means, it means that it is a treasure that is beyond uh, the ability to put a, a price tag to. It is, it is, uh, um, is absolutely such a priceless thing that you cannot put a price to it. That's what God says, and that's in you and me. That's in you. And, and so 
For us, we need to recognize the, the power that's that treasure that's in earthen vessels, that, that the, the majesty of God might be revealed in and through us. That's the other world. It's within you. It's within you. And what does God expect of you? What does God, what did God the Father put in you from the foundation of the world? Why did Jesus give his life so that you might be born again there to pursue the truth? What is it that, that we have a responsibility to, to develop and to, to let God move within us? Each of us has a treasure within us. And, you know, you hear Oppenheimer and, and uh, Einstein and others, uh, Niels Bohr, many others, who would, from a scientific perspective, speak about those other worlds when the, the other world of all worlds is within you and the Father is there. God the Father is there. Jesus said that. And he sees there. And you meet with him there. That's every day. That's not just if there are 15 saints around and you can feel warm and cuddly, even though that's a powerful thing. I was glad when they said in me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We understand that. But at three in the morning, it's you before God, and God is with you there. You know, I, I woke up at three. There was an angel standing beside the bed, and, and I knew I wasn't going back to sleep. And I felt fine. I was alive. Well, I was suddenly invigorated. I wish I had that, <laughs> could bottle that up. I could sell that and finance the, the end-time harvest. Because uh, a lot of mornings I'm getting up, and I think, you know what? I'm 65 years old. I feel it. I need to go stretch, bend and stretch, reach for the stars. But anyway, I got up and, and he started, the angel started talking to me about this, about shame. And I thought, why? I was looking at the crypto yesterday. So what is this? And then it blended together. So let's read, finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 1 through 7. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. We're going to talk about that. We're going to jump off into the deep end through that. But let's read all the way through verse 7. Not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We have this treasure. What treasure? This treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Wow. What a thing. 
What's going on in you? Well, God has commanded the light to shine out of darkness in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's in your heart. If we believe what the Word says, and I do. But this unique thing that's said in verse 2, we have renounced the cryptos of shame. That's what this says. What is the shame of cryptos that you would renounce it? Well, here's a unique thing, because dishonesty there is the Greek word for shame. This word is found again in Revelation 3.18 when God, the Lord, Jesus, is speaking to the church at Laodicea. And he's saying how that they're wealthy and they, they don't lack anything and they are triumphant. They have served God. They, they have known success and blessing abundantly. And then Jesus says, but you know what? You, you have need that you have your eyes anointed with salve so that you might see that the shame of your nakedness might be known. Now, what does that mean? What's this shame? Shame in, and dishonesty here. Dishonesty. Shame in that concept was not that you did something wrong. Shame on you. You should never do that. Shame on you. It's all about you not having done what you should do with what you have. And, and, and you, can, you can find all kinds of extrapolations of that throughout the Greek culture. Somebody who had a gift and just openly mismanaged it. That was shame. Somebody who had uh, some kind of a, of a possibility, and it was all right there. Everybody could see it, and somehow they just let it go, and it, and it just became ugly or, or, or horrid. And that was shame. Somebody that didn't have much, and they just let their life go to pot. They didn't manage what they had. That was shame. That was the concept of shame in this dishonesty and in what Jesus said, the shame of your nakedness. I'm reminded of a very famous passage in the book of Genesis when it says that Adam and Eve were there. Of course, they ate of the tree. They shouldn't have ate. They touched it. And they then, they then began to stitch leaves and make clothing. And before that, though, it says that they were naked and unashamed. Unashamed. Now, that word unashamed there is kind of interesting, too, because the root of that means roughly the same type of thing as was in the New Testament. For instance, when Moses was up on the mount meeting with God and the people were down at the base of the hill doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, and they noticed that Moses delayed his coming. Delayed is the root 
of shame. They thought, Moses, you said you were coming back down. Are you just going to stay up there? You've abandoned us. You're not doing what we expect you to do. You delayed your coming. I think that's very interesting, isn't it? Shame. Psalm 119, verse 60, uses the same thing. And there, the, the psalmist says that, this, that he had determined to delay not, delay not, there's shame, to keep God's commandments. In other words, what God has said, I'm going to make sure I keep them. I'm not going to fall behind in it. It kind of reminds me of so many of you had upbringing similar to mine. Um, when I was a kid, we didn't have anything. <laughs> of course, I was a kid. I didn't know any better. Um, there were five of us in the house, five kids. And, um, you know, the way I got new clothes was my brother's old clothes. Um, we never went out to eat. Later on, we got up in the world, and we would go out to McDonald's once a month after church, which was high living for me. Um, that was back in the days before you had a drive through so you had to pull in, and then you'd walk up to where the big golden arches were. You'd walk up to the window, come snow or whatever, and you'd get your Big Mac or your hamburger. They didn't have kids' meals back then either, so I just got a hamburger and a small fries, and I was living large. Um, but, you know, the one thing, though, was that my mom always made sure that I had a, a, a little suit and a tie and shirt to wear at church every Sunday, and it was clean. And if my mom saw me walking out the door and I had dirty shoes or whatever, she would say, Ronnie, come over here. Because she didn't want anybody to see her son going to church dirty or without his hair combed. And for her, we don't have much, but whatever we have is, is going to look like we're taking care of it. And same with the yard. If my dad had me pushing that old push mower. You know, it wasn't motorized. It had those blades. That and it was my job to, you got to keep that lawn mowed. And if it's turning green, Pennsylvania, we didn't have that much problems because we had plenty of rain. But I had to take that hose and go out there. And if the hose didn't go long enough, I had to get a bucket and carry water and pour it out there. Because what we had, we needed to keep up. And that's the concept of shame. If you weren't taking care of what you had, that others would see it. You know, it would be nice if it was altruistic. Well, you know, we just want to enjoy what we have. But it was more for us. We didn't have much, but we were going to make sure that what we did have, people couldn't ridicule. And I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate that. It kind of prepared me for being a pastor. <laughs> So the concept of not having much but still getting the job done, I was raised in that, folks. Uh, but we do have plenty. We lack nothing. We have more than enough. Super abundant. God is so good to us. He has blessed us abundantly. But the idea of shame that, we grew, that I grew up with was not, oh, you know, you better hide those drugs you've been taking because if people see that you're taking drugs, it's going to be a shame on you. 
Now, I can't believe that my son has done that, that, that type of shame. I knew better than that. <laughs> Man, I'd have got whacked if I'd have done that. I didn't ever want to do that. But going to church, not having clean clothes, not having the right tie, tied right, we were going to go in there, and it wasn't a prideful thing. It was, this is the house of the Lord. You look that way. And, but, but it was more, mom didn't want anybody to say. It's kind of like the old thing. Now, if you never heard this before, I'm not saying anything bad. Ronnie, did you put clean underwear on? What if you were in an accident? You know the rest of it. And they see you with dirt. What would they think of your mother? Now, that's the first thing they're going to think if you're in an accident and you're in the emergency room. What kind of a mother? <laughs> the boy is bleeding out. Look at the underwear. That's horrible. How many of you heard, not about Ronnie, but how many of you heard that kind of thing? That was just something that was there. It went right along with the age of accountability. After you turned 13, underwear was all your responsibility. But before then, it was, did your mother have clean? I think Billy Graham wrote about that in the back of that book. Shame. That was the issue. And it very much was the issue in the Old Testament. It was, and in the New Testament, was the idea of, are you doing with what God has given you, what you are responsible to do. And so that's why with Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. Because every day they would meet with God in the Ruach of the day, and God would clothe them with his presence and with what he was requiring of them. That was never an issue. Hence, they were unashamed. They were doing what they were supposed to do, and, and that's why when they disobeyed God and God comes down and he's calling out for them, uh, he knew where they were, but the issue was that they weren't doing what they were supposed to do, and God recognized it. You know, again, back to the days of my boyhood, uh, when I'd get home from school, I'd just go out and start playing when I was in grade school. But when it started to get dark, pretty soon you'd hear the mothers come out on the back porch and they'd start bellering for their kids. Ronnie, it's time for dinner. And no matter where I was, if I heard that, I better get there, especially if my dad was home. I had to be there lickety split because he was hungry and they're waiting for me because dad was going to cross his hands like this and we were all going to pray together. But God knew where they were. He wasn't, Adam, where are you? I knew I left him around here somewhere. I can't trust that boy to go in. Where is he? That wasn't it. It was the fact that their availability in what God created them to be, which made them unashamed, was now compromised. And there was shame. Not just for the fact, we often focus on what they did wrong, but we maybe don't focus enough on why they weren't doing what they should have been doing. Because all that time they were stitching leaves together, undoubtedly there were things that they should have been representing for the Lord. I think that's very interesting. So in the book of Revelation, Jesus says to the Laodiceans, you're blessed in the natural, you're blessed physically, 
But you need to get your eyes anointed again, and you need to get back in the game, so to speak, that the shame of your nakedness is no longer functioning. That's what shame is. It's not, I want to go over here and tear up Jack and live in whatever gender I want to be and do anything that I want to do because God has forgiven me already and there's no shame. Well, I'm sorry. There's sin. <laughs> I remember hearing that story. I've mentioned it many times. Pastor Jack Hayford, God bless his soul. He was counseling this guy who'd been in his church for a while. And the guy came and said, Pastor Jack, I'm just struggling I'm struggling with this thing that I, I just keep coming to talk to you about. And Hayford said, you're not struggling, you're sinning. <laughs> I thought, whoa, in California? Can you imagine such a thing in Van Nuys, California, to tell somebody they're actually sinning? Woo, man, I'm struggling, Pastor. I just need a shoulder to cry. No, you're not, you're sinning. And the thing is that you can lay any kind of band-aid you want and call it shame, and there is no shame. But the biggest shame is found in not fulfilling what God created you to be and not showing up before our Heavenly Father who gave all things for us that we might serve Him and be with Him. So what does this mean here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? And this is something that was really emblazoned into my spirit this morning, having renounced the ways that shame would influence the crypto. That's what it really says. Now we read, having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, as if, you know what, I've been spending my paycheck down there at the crap game, and you know, people didn't know about it, but now the bills are coming due, that dishonesty... Oh, I've been hiding it. Brother, I've been hiding it. I need to come clean before God. Brother, can you spare a dime? That is not what's said here. Look at it for yourself. It speaks of the crypto, and then it uses this term that means shame. And we know what shame means based upon what we've just been talking about. This is talking about the crypto, that place within us where the Father dwells, where His light dwells, where the face of Jesus and the glory of God is ready to move forth because our gospel is hid that those who have not heard, we must go there. That's the context of this. And then it talks about lots of opposition that comes, persecuted. We won't go there. You can read that later. But the point, though, is the hidden things of dishonesty is the shame of not functioning in the crypto the way God created you to be. Isn't that something? Now, when you start doing that, if you were to start doing that, tell me if you've not seen this, even in some far reaches of what used to be our network. Walking in craftiness. Handling the Word of God deceitfully. Wow! You know, that's the one thing about handling the Word of God deceitfully in doctrines of devils. It can be as slick as snot. That's an old Texas saying, too, that 
probably is in Tennessee. I haven't been there and said it, but I'm sure they say it. <laughs> not only can you speak things that are just not scriptural, but you can be crafty and evangelistic and loving and get all kinds of people to just follow the piper right down the road to hell. When it would just be the most pertinent and most eternal thing to be clothed upon by the Spirit of God to serve in the way He created you in the crypto place. So Paul says, we must renounce those things. We must renounce not being clothed upon by, by what our crypto should be functioning in in the Lord. What does it mean to renounce? That means to say, hereby, I am not just saying I'm not going to do this, but I'm making it a law that's incontrovertible. I, this is not going to be, I, I will not be this. I renounce that option in my life. I will not function unclothed. I will not move anywhere outside of what the crypto of God's identity within me has mandated that I be. I will not miss that. That's a renouncing. That's even stronger than declaring and decreeing. That's a renouncing. And Paul says that. So if I've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, then I will not walk in craftiness, or I will not handle the word of God deceitfully. But I am going to show forth, phanerosis, the truth. And I'm going to commend that truth and my walk before God, before every man's conscience in the sight of God. And that's part of that renouncing. It's part of the establishing. I'm going to function in what God created me to be, I'm going to do it in sincerity and in purity, to the best of my ability, God being my help. And I'm going to do it in such a way that as I am functioning in his truth, let everybody that's around me recognize that what I am, to the best of my ability, is what God created me to be. And, and I am... I know that I'm doing it in the sight of God. In the sight of people, yes, but most importantly, the sight of God. <laughs> you know, I go back to what my mom used to say every Sunday. I mean, when I'm walking out the door I, 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 to the car, she always found a way to see what I was wearing. Even when it was cold and there was a lot of snow on the ground, sometimes my dad would let me go out and start the car. And just to get it heated up before we got in. You know, that was another old Pennsylvania thing. Somehow my mom knew to watch what I was wearing. I'm amazed by that. Yeah, she wanted me to look right going to the house. And this went on in other ways. When I went to school, you better have what you need to have. Because I don't want to get a call from the office saying... And I'm not faulting anybody else. Every kid's different. 
But my mom, you do not go there and embarrass me. Because if you do, I'm not going to be happy, and I'm going to tell your dad. And you know what's coming next. It reminds me of that old joke that Ray Hughes told when he came. He said one time he was doing something he shouldn't do at his house, and his mom told him not to do it, but he kept doing it anyway. And his mom said, Ray, I'm going to give you a whipping. And he went running. He ran away, and he went out and got under the porch because it was a pier and beam house. Well, Ray said, I stayed there for a while. And I heard my dad come home. And the next thing I know, <laughs> my mom's telling, hey, you know, Ray did this. And I told him he was going to get licking. And, you know, he's out there under the porch. So <laughs> pretty soon Ray saw his dad crawling under the porch. And Ray said to his dad, dad, what are you doing under here? Is mom mad at you too? <laughs> I still remember him telling that. That was so great. That was so funny. But it mattered back then. You know, it wasn't, I guess it was an element of pride, but there was an element of self-respect. I think that a large degree is missing from American culture today. Um, but the shame was not just what will people think, but it was more what we have, we're going to act like we're taking care of it. And we're going to take care of it. Because the one thing that we won't have said is those Crawfords don't know how to manage their house. And look at their kids. They're a terror. No. If there was all the way down the line. And that's what shame is. I didn't realize it. Honestly, I've not studied about it. I've, uh, this was an angelic revelation from the Word, and I'm grateful for it. But for us, are we really doing what John said? We've tasted the powers of the world to come. We've ministered alongside of the angelic. We felt the, pel the pulse of the creation in this estimate and in places around the world. We've been caught up into the heavens. We've had visions that are so much a gift from God of our eternal home. God has shown us his word, the deep things of the word. He's given us giftings. He's given us responsibilities in nation after nation after nation. Do we really value that? Are we, are we saying, am I saying, I renounce any prospect that I will live below that identity that God put in me from the foundation of the world, that he sent his son to die, that it might be invigorated with life? Am I living below that identity where my father in the hidden man of the heart is there, seeing me there, meeting with me there, showing the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Am I living below that? Or do I need somebody walking behind me all the time, prophesying, reminding me of who I am? God forbid! It's time to function. 
It's time to be that. This is the world to come. And it's the world now. And I, I say that not because I think all of you are sloughing off. There's a reason that God is reminding us today of the vitality of His presence and what He's created us to be. And this understanding of what shame is not and what it really is, it's an accountability. It's a functionality. It's a partnership with God. That's the covering. The Laodiceans had forgotten it. God forbid America has forgotten it. So many churches have forgotten it. God forbid that we ever forget it. We as Pneumatikos people, as saints, are above so many other places in the world most privileged by God. The things that God has given us, there's so much more, but what we've been given is so great. We need to renounce the shame, the possibility of shame in the cryptos. Because <laughs> there's a big world out there. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those which believe not. We preach not ourselves, but Christ the Lord. God's commanding the light to shine out of darkness. I'm reading it again. We should read it over and over again. And he has shined that light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Where? In our hearts. We have this treasure. What treasure? This treasure in earthen vessels. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And yeah, when we're that kind of people, we may be troubled on every side, but yet not distressed. Why? Because we're moving in the power of God within. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, not destroyed. <laughs> wow. It's a spiritual battle. But greater is he that is where? Within us than he that is in the world. See, we like, we like to think that means greater than he that sits on the throne. Greater is he that has 10,000 angels. Greater is he that has a great group of people in a prayer chain. No, that's not exactly, even though those things are true. Greater is he that is in, in us, in you, and in me, than he that is in the world. So, Renouncing the hidden things of dishonesty. <laughs> Ronnie! Put your own name in there. Nathan! Are you functioning in the crypto? <laughs> Beth? I thank God for what he has given to us. The best days in your life are ahead. 
God's spirit and his identity within you has been ordained for this moment, this choice moment in the history of mankind, unlike any other time that has ever visited this earth. I think we would all agree with that. We are seeing the beginnings of these scriptures in the end times that we've read all our lives. Now we're seeing them one by one being opened up. We used to talk about them theoretically, have big charts. You know what's going to happen? One day this is going to be, and then that's going to be so many of those things. It's like Bishop Hammond said, you know, that 30 minutes of silence in heaven is for all the prophecy teachers to update their charts. I don't know how many times I've heard preachers just say, it's going to be this way, and it wasn't that way. 87 reasons Christ is returning in 87. Oop, missed it by 88 reasons Christ is returning in 1988. There wasn't an 89. But the point, though, is we have a great, great opportunity. And it's in you. It's in me. And part of that blessing, and I'm bringing this to a close, um, is that we can go into the nations of the world to doors God has opened and impart this understanding to people, to cities. And the anointing of the Spirit of God ignites this. You know, I was talking to Pastor Luciano. They, they're starting a church 12-hour drive away from where they live in Sao Paulo. And they said that out in this area of Brazil, they say that there's so much idolatry. The people worship demons. And one of the things that Luciano does every time he goes there is he preaches the cross. He preaches the cross and the esteme. He preaches the power of God taking authority over every demonic being and laying claim to the treasures of the glory of God that's in that land. He loves to preach that. And when he preaches that, incredible things happen. They were telling me that this last trip, he had a car full of pastors, and they were all making this long drive. Can you imagine that? Of course, I don't know, 12-hour drive. Gee whiz, we take a 20-hour flight, so which is longer? I wouldn't want to be in a car with a pack full of men for 12 hours, so <sighs> I wouldn't even want to be in a car packed full of women for 12 hours. But, you know, the point, though, is that he said they were, they were driving along, and all of a sudden, they came under very real attack. One of them had a coffee, um, I don't know what it was made of, ceramic or whatever. That thing just exploded. They were driving along in the car. And another thing happened, and, and the enemy, they, they, they sent a WhatsApp, Pastor, pray, we're under attack right now. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. The enemy does not want this message to go forward. But God is greater. God is greater. 
um, we've had those things happen. I remember being uh, in India, and uh, I've told this before. We, we pulled in our driver. I don't know what cast he was a part of, but it obviously wasn't the chauffeur cast because he sure didn't know what he was doing. And he pulled into this place, and he disappeared. We wondered, well, I'm assuming he went out in the trees in the West Virginia bathroom. Um, but all of a sudden, this group of young men surrounded the, the van we were in. You remember that? And one, two of the guys had baseball bats. And I thought, dear God, they're not asking us for a pickup game. I know that. And we started praying. At least I know I did. And after a couple minutes, these guys just got this weird look on their face, and they went away. I was so grateful for that, because they kill Christians in that part of the world, literally. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We must renounce any measure of shame regarding the crypto within us. And this we will do. So we come to this table of communion today. And um, I know that as we uh, enter into this month of August, this wonderful prayer time on Wednesday and the first Saturday to come, what a glorious privilege we have to serve our Father. This table, the Lord is with us. We are in his kingdom right now. His body, his blood is our portion. We need this measure of identity in the body of Christ. We need this measure of identity of commune with the Father. We need this measure of identity in regard to what our inheritance is, the breaking of, of the lines of that draw out what we're responsible for. We need that and so much more. We need this sprinkling of the blood of Jesus for empowerment and activation, for covering for welcoming the glory. We need this. But all of these things serve that divine identity that God has placed within each of us. And I don't want to live below that privilege. How about you? Father, I thank you for this time. And as, as uh, Katie and Zach lead us now in worship before you and as we prepare to come and receive, we ask that we will meet with you. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. We love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.